We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. I'm Richard Wells. And we have a couple guests with us today. I'm Derek Sams. And I'm Laura Sams. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Blue Lagoon on July 2nd, 1980. It was written by Douglas Day Stewart, based on a novel by Henry Devere Stackpool, directed by Randall Kleiser, and released by Columbia Pictures. In 1908, Henry Devere Stackpool's Blue Lagoon novel was published. It was the first in a trilogy, followed by The Garden of God and The Gates of Morning. It was first adapted in a 1923 silent film starring Molly Adair and my new favorite name, Dick Crookshanks. Nice. <laughs> the producer Herbert Wilcox bought the rights to the film in 1935, announcing a forthcoming remake. But plans fell apart, and the rights were sold to Gainsborough Pictures, who announced their remake in 1938, but eventually the film was postponed for World War II. And then in 47, Frank Launder was attached to direct, and the second adaptation was released in 1949, starring Gene Simmons, not that Gene Simmons, and <laughs> Donald Houston. The 1980 remake was a passion project of director Randall Kleiser's. The original plan was for neither actor to ever wear clothes in the film, Hmm. which is why Jennifer Jason Lee turned it down at the request of her father, Vic Morrow, who we had earlier this year in Humanoids from the Deep. Do we know how old she was I was just going to ask. About the same age. Yeah, mm. So she was also around 14? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So did Diane Lane and Lori Laughlin and Isabella Johnny. They all turned it down because of the permanent nudity requirement. Um, which obviously went away at some right. point. Yes. Obviously they got rid of that and then they auditioned Kelly Preston, Linda Blair, Jodie Foster, Tatum O'Neill, Michelle Pfeiffer, Daryl Hannah, Rosanna Arquette, wow. Melissa Sue Anderson, Kim Basinger, Ellen Barkin, Justine Bateman, Delta Burke, Jamie Lee Curtis, Bridget Fonda, Melanie Griffith, Angelica Houston, Kay Lenz, Mariel Hemingway, Christy McNichol, Amy Irving, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Wow. All of them actually came in and did auditions for it. You know, the I, age range of that group. Yeah, is Angelica very, Houston yeah, seems or older Ellen than Barkin. That group. Yeah. Well, and Sarah. I was going to say Sarah Jessica Parker, but her name is actually Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, she was young. She's got to be really, she probably was only, you know, Because like this 10. is pre-square pegs. Yeah. And yeah. God, what, Flight of the Navigator yeah, was the 85? Navigator. 85, yeah. Was, Same director. Yeah. She wasn't very yeah. old in that. Kathleen Turner apparently flubbed her audition, and Sean Young came in to try for it and almost went full Catwoman. She auditioned five times and was pushing very hard to play this role, but it didn't work out for wow. her. Wow. Uh, Carrie Fisher turned it down because <laughs> uh, she had a commitment to The Empire Strikes Back. Good choices. Uh, but otherwise, choices. Uh, she would have been down to do it, presumably. Wow. Yeah, there, was some, there were some good choices in there, though. Yeah. I mean, there's some ones that I think could have done as well as Brooke Shields did. Yeah. And on the DVD release, they actually feature a screen test of Lou Diamond Phillips and Molly Ringwald. Wow. Who wow. came in for multiple rounds of auditions. Okay. I don't think I would have gone with Molly Ringwald. I don't think I would have gone with Lou, Lou Diamond Phillips, Phillips either. Yeah. Well, yes. That's it. Yeah, that's, I, don't, that I also don't weird. think that they play off as cousins. No. Exactly. They don't look anything alike. Um, but uh, but uh, the male lead was turned down by Willie Ames and Matt Dillon because of back when it was fully nude. Uh, but in the end, Chris Atkins won uh, over Sean Penn, who was the second choice. Wow, Sean Whoa. Penn. Yeah, that would have been interesting. We could have had a Little Darlings uh, re rematch with... Uh, with Matt Dillon Matt and McNichol Dillon or, and, yeah. or Tatum mm -hmm. O'Neill. Yeah, well, either, yeah. Yeah. A previously undiscovered species of iguana was captured in the film that herpetologists later found in Fiji and named the Fiji Crested Iguana. So someone was watching the movie and was like, that doesn't exist <laughs> <Yeah>. yet. <laughs> they flew out to find it. Why wouldn't they name it after the movie? Yeah. I don't know. I they feel like they should have. Blue or the director or something. Yeah. Brooke, do you want an iguana after you? <laughs> the Brooke Shields no. iguana. <laughs> Randall Kleiser took issue with the critics who labeled the film kiddie porn on its release, insisting that all of Shields' nude scenes were performed by the film's 32-year-old stunt coordinator, Kathy Trout. Mm -hmm. But I looked up her website and her face looks nothing like Shields. And in fact, on her own site, it says, 
At Dunk Island, Kathy was hired to do nude stand-in for the lead female actress, but at the last moment, the plan was changed and the actor performed her own nude underwater sequence. However, Kathy received enormous advanced publicity. So I don't know if that was just to be safe. They said that someone did it. Well, I was reading that uh, Brooke Shields had to uh, like be in front of Congress and she had to say that all of her scenes were in fact done by a stunt double. And I guess for legal reasons, they just had to do that. But it, she, she actually ca- got called in front of Congress to make I those read comments? that somewhere. Wow, that's crazy. But for legal reasons, I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe that they did that for all the scenes, just for convenience sake, but, you yeah. know. Yeah, and there's some scenes that are just blatantly yeah, her yeah, yeah. that are clearly not a double. Yeah, so. things that They didn't have the computer visual effects to... that we do now, yeah. where you could just put somebody else's <laughs> yeah. face on a different body. Well, and for, for that matter, when you're filming, you know, there's definitely scenes where you're cutting together uh, stunt double footage mm-hmm. with her footage, but she is naked in the footage where she's, you know, like coming up through the water. And so you're cutting between these mm-hmm. scenes. You probably have footage of her naked. And you're just like, well, this worked better than the other one. I'm just going to use that. Because yeah. when you're in the cutting room yeah. at that point, you're just like, I'm going to use what works. Yeah. Yeah. The film was obviously followed by Return to the Blue Lagoon with Brian Krause and Mia Jovovich, which we'll discuss a little bit after the film. Right. W- would you say it's followed when it's 11 years later? Was it 11 years yeah, later? Yeah, it was 91, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. I, I, mean, I, would, I would say like 82 times. or 83 would be followed by, but not 1991. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was also followed by the Blue Lagoon, The Awakening, a Lifetime movie that we won't discuss after this. <laughs> uh, beyond mentioning that it did feature Chris Atkins in a in a small cameo role. He was like a teacher on the boat before it sank. At oh, the wait a minute. I was say, how much of a cameo can you play on a, a desert island? <laughs> yeah, he, he was an iguana in this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just like pops out and waves at them and then ducks back into the jungle. So we open the film with a colorized illustration of Victorian era Boston that looks strikingly like the Cheers introduction. It really, <laughs> really does. Like, That's what we thought I started too. singing the theme song while we were watching it. Yeah, yeah. me too. Seriously. <laughs> uh, we push in on an illustrated ship at sea and then we fade to the real thing where Arthur Lestrange reprimands his son and niece for balancing precariously on the bow of a ship. We learn quickly that they are San Francisco bound. San 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 Francisco, as Richard insists on (laughs) calling it. San Francisco. And we learn that Richard's mother is dead and Emmeline's parents are both dead. So uh, are we to understand that they are sailing from Boston to San Francisco? Around South America. Right, of course. But... But then they somehow ended up on some other tropical island. It's probably somewhere? the Caribbean. Or yeah. Something. But you think they would be staring pretty close to land overall, right? I don't know. Also, when when this is taking place, do you think that is there like a historical explanation for why three of these four parents would have been killed in some way, or are we to understand that Arthur murdered these three people <laughs> and took the kids? Well, it's no a timely idea. thing to talk about during the COVID situation, yeah. so maybe something's happening in their time. Uh, another crew member on this ship, Patty Button, gives the kids a grumpy look on his way back below deck. Arthur moves downstairs to inform the captain of an incoming fog bank which hasn't been super lucky this year so far. We had Ted Stryker had a fog bank and airplane, but he sort of crash landed the plane. It was okay. And then Father Malone didn't fare too well in the fog. <laughs> yeah. You mean there was a fog bank in the fog? Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's a fog bank out there. Richard finds a stack of nudie pics in Patty's drawer and he gets a spanking for it. And then when Emmeline interrupts, he winds up to spank her as well when we hear people screaming about a fire below deck. And Patty is instantly freaked out about it and everyone's scrambling to get off the ship. Yeah, I think somebody yells that there's like powder kegs down there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's powder kegs in the hold. So it's not like they're running around to put out the fire. They're just trying to get off the ship. Before it goes kaboom. Yeah, and so the kids are separated from their father uncle and uh, the ship explodes. And then in the smoke, the lifeboats are drifting apart and they're calling to each other, but... For whatever reason, they're not able to track the sound well enough to stay close to one another. They end up floating for days on the water, and it's just a boat with Patty, Emmeline, and Richard until uh, they awaken one morning off the coast of an island uh, and rush to shore. 
Well, they did shortly after the explosion, there was some wreckage in the sea. And right. so they were able to... Um, One box of luggage. Yeah, they lassoed on a, a trunk that was floating nearby. So they had some stuff, but there was no food or water in it. I think there was a little bit of food, unless he brought that food with him. Yeah, there was a can of something on the boat. I don't know boat, where it came on the from. Boat, but. He's very sloppily eating this tuna, though, considering <laughs> yes. there's a very finite tuna? amount of food. That's what know. it looked like. Like sardines <laughs> but or he's something. Like, Canned fish. Yeah, and he's just tucking it into his mouth and letting bits of it fall into the lifeboat. It's like, be more careful. That's all of your yes. food. Once they get on shore of this island, Patty quickly locates bananas and drinkable water. They find like a, a waterfall with some bananas growing over it. In exchange, Emmeline finds a barrel of rum, and Richard presents him with a lovely human skull. Patty is terrified. Well, and it's important to note at that point, neither of the kids knows what that thing is that they found. Like, she doesn't know what right. rum is. He doesn't know yeah. what a skull is, which is, yeah, we get a hint. We get start to realize just how sheltered these kids have been. Right. Well, I don't know that it's sheltered. I, I, I imagine it's sometime between 1850 and turn of the century. And so I just don't think that, you know, however old these kids are, eight to 10 years old, like they've had a very broad education. But I did like that the way Emmeline describes the barrel as she says, oh, I found a barrel and it smells like the captain's yes. breath. And immediately Patty's like, what? Where yeah. is it? Yeah, <laughs> Where? Yeah. I'm surprised he, the, uh, Richard didn't know what a skull was, though, like even to have any idea, because even at that age, they would have had some kind of schooling, some kind of biology. Yeah. And earlier... When they're on the boat, he he doesn't know what a shark is either. And it's like, kids know what sharks are. Like, kids of all ages know what sharks are. I don't know. I mean, I think we're looking at this from the perspective of uh, of our own generations where we have... The internet. Lots of books and the internet <laughs> and all sorts of things where we have exposure to a lot of information. And I think back then, you you still didn't have... A lot of information widely spread. But I think before we knew about dinosaurs, the first thing a kid wants to know about is sharks. Or pirates. Like yeah. if I mean, you Boston's live... a port town. I mean, they got there's gotta be old talks of pirate stories and skull and crossbones and things like that. I right? suppose, but I, I mean... don't think there's a lot of sharks in Boston. Maybe there yeah, are. Yeah, but like if you look at sharks sharks, sharks and amity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. If you look at a lot of things like I guess uh, Peter Pan is it's from a similar time. Um, early 1900s sure. and from that like the kids know who pirate they know they know what pirates are they know about um i mean for them they say engines and so many right things right, right. and then um if you go back even further go back to like tom sawyer and huckleberry thin like they're aware like they would have known what a skull was and that was years and years before. sure yeah so i think we're kind of getting an idea of, like that these kids maybe are especially unaware more so than most. yeah they do seem like they're they're rich kids that kind <laughs> yeah. of protect or maybe he just didn't pay attention in school and he was just that well, they, they just inherited a lot of money so they're <laughs> very rich now patty catches emmeline trying to eat what he calls never wake up berries out of a bush and he sweeps them out of her mouth with a finger uh the next day richard is enjoying some of the stereography that survived the trip to the beach and while he's looking at some wedding pictures he asks patty if he ever got married and he says seven times kids in every port from kaleo to macau 17 at the last count. <laughs> I just thought that was funny that he has so many kids. Because <laughs> he seems like a decent dad to these two, but he was such a terrible father to all of his actual kids. Uh, we get a montage of Patty teaching the kids life skills, fishing, knots, shelter construction. Patty has to chase them across the beach because they don't want to go in the water, but then later he has to chase them to put their clothes back on because they just want to swim. Oh, that, that's where Richard says, I think, I'm never wearing those old britches again, and he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just running around. Way to to your guns, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one day, carrying bananas through the jungle, Patty stumbles upon a native temple with human remains splayed across a platform. And he's obviously terrified and backs away from it and goes back to their camp. In their beach home that night, he tells the kids that this is where the boogeyman lives. And if they know what law is, that the law says stay away from this area. But he's really doing them a disservice here by right. not being honest because he he doesn't realize that he's not going to be around all that time and yeah. he needs to educate them as much as possible now which is kind of against what he's been doing so far he's been very very honest with them yeah about everything i mean maybe he doesn't know the terminology everything like those are never wake up berries you're going to be dead and buried like he's he's very brutally honest with them but the fact that he won't be honest about this that there are, there are bad people over there stay over here yeah uh is kind I, of I get odd. the impression his his intention was to eventually revise this mythology with no there's actually people over there and they'll kill you but you don't know yeah, about that yet probably so just, just in the moment the boogeyman because i know your kids and you're scared of yes that. patty is really trying to 
obviously trying to protect them and just using language right. that he thinks would be useful. But I agree with you, Richard. Like at some point, he was probably going to tell them more. But they're all still trying to figure out what is this island about? And most importantly, I want to get off this island. The sooner the better. And hopefully yeah. we don't have to get to that point on revealing who these boogeyman really are. Right. But unfortunately, later that night, Patty gets excessively drunk from the barrel and uh, he dresses in all the women's clothes he could find in the luggage and dances to entertain the kids for a while. And then using the barrel as a flotation device, he kicks his way across the lagoon to a, a smaller island that's just offshore and uh, he just drinks there through the night. And the next morning, Richard sees him sleeping over there and he's like, oh, let's go surprise him. They take the lifeboat across the shore and when they roll him over, his face is like gray black and a crab crawls out of his dead mouth. Yeah. And yep. it's, <laughs> I feel bad for the actor that he had to have a live crab in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, but you disturbing. also let our four-year-old son watch this scene with you. And, yeah, he liked it. Well, Jack's like, I wouldn't put a crab in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Jack. A cooked <laughs> crab from boiling crab. No, you don't understand. He got paid extra, Jack. Um, but they just abandon the body. Yeah, they like, leave him there. I mean, what are they, they going to do? They don't know with what it? to do. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, it's just if they can even lift him. That's yeah, true. That's true. Right? That's yeah. true. Um, they row to another part of the island to even escape his memory. Like they're like, we're not even going to go back to the house that we shared with him. We're going to go to the other side of the island now. Which I think is impressive because these kids are still really young and they have to start over yeah like they're not using any of the shelter he built they didn't even take the pieces with them and the new one they built is much better anyway it's got a um, slide <laughs> we get a quick hakuna matata montage as they're swimming naked and they age five or six years we're getting a hint of dumbo's baby mind from the score here i thought oh but, i kept uh, saying I that as well the little motif <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it just it just sounded a little bit like it to me Richard sets up a Christmas morning for them. They both mention having weird feelings about each other on Christmas, <laughs> spoiling the holiday. <laughs> um, <laughs> that night, they try to sing Christmas songs and quickly realize that they don't actually know any of them all the way through. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse one open, open sleigh, all the. I did like how M is like just like, I don't know the rest, and just like laughing and smiling through the rest of the song. M goes diving privately and experiences her first period and calls to Richard for help. But then when he gets there, she suddenly does not want his help anymore. <laughs> it's like she's somehow come to terms with it. And it's like, no, never mind. Go away. Leave me alone. Richard's upset because he doesn't keep secrets from her. And he wants to know why she's bleeding. I think we should talk about this a yeah. little bit. though, sure. Because I think it's interesting to her make that sort of transition so quickly between yeah. yelling for help and then saying no never mind i'm fine i don't want your help leave me alone because i feel like she would still want his help when he got she there because she doesn't know what's help. going on she doesn't know what's going on and she's not in pain obviously but yeah. there's gonna be a lot of blood and she's not sure why so yeah, I, feel I feel like she would be asking for help and trying to solve this mystery with him yeah exactly and and, and the only other person you're there there with you rely on them for for everything you would say hey i'm experiencing this right now what the hell is this yeah and also it wouldn't be in just that moment right like it would be several days right and it's yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. that that doesn't come back up it's like the next scene i think he comes back to her and says why were you bleeding she's like i don't know and then it's like yeah. Like, aren't you still bleeding? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, let's also consider well, the the novel was written by a man. It, the film was directed by a man, and it was the screenplay was written by a man. Um, not that men can't do some basic research, but I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I wonder if they, these guys might just have not thought that through. Yeah. Why bother well, doing yeah. the research? <laughs> I also think it's interesting to think about it in terms of shame because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that she's instantly embarrassed Well, by why it. are these guys ashamed of their bodies at all? They've been not ashamed up until this point for any reason. So why would they suddenly think, not knowing that this was about sexual maturity, think of this as a shameful thing? Right. Yeah, it is weird. It, it, like the implication of the story is that the sh that shame is a natural progression of of maturity which it's not like right. not in this situation right right 
but the author was just like, it's a period. So it's a small period of time, about four or five minutes. <laughs> and then she's angry. Uh. <laughs> that's how ladies work. That's all I remember. Uh, before my wife left. Uh, one afternoon, he asks M where her father is. And she says that, uh, or, wait, whose parents are dead? Her parents, her parents are, are dead. Her parents are dead. Okay, His so father. He, he asks her where her parents are. And she says, same place as your parents. But he's he's insisting that his father is coming back for them but she she assumed that he died when the when the ship exploded Uh can we take Uh, this moment and pay homage to boy meets world right now because mr feeney yeah to mr feeney plays (laughs) mr lestrange richard's father yeah it's pretty amazing Uh, i wanted to mention uh that richard is talking about so I also get very confused when we keep talking about Richard. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, Richard doesn't know what a skull is. Yes, I do. No, uh, uh, but, uh, Richard is like wanting to know about what's happening to his body. <laughs> this is embarrassing. He talks about himself in the third person. Talk so about much. shame. Well, he, he says, there's all, these, there's, there's all these weird hairs growing on me. But like Brooke Shields is like, Oh, my legs are perfectly shaved all the time. Right. I tried to see if, like, she was completely hairless. And, of course, she is. She's, like, perfect. But she was also 14 yeah. when she filmed this. Which yeah, you true. still will get things happening to your well, body. And he never grows a beard. And he never grows that's a true. beard. Yeah, he's supposed to be, like, 18. But he's only, like, what, 16 mm-hmm. at the end of this? Like, some people don't grow their beards until they're the 20. He's also blonde. So it, uh, there were a couple of scenes where I thought there might have been some peach fuzz at least growing. But it was really light. So yeah, and, and all that sun. Well, you could definitely see, um, like in some of the shots of Brooke F- Shields when she's when they're closer up on her face, you can see that oh, this must have been really late in the sh- in the filming because her hair is very blonde. Yeah, like underneath the hair, like it's like the sun is starting to, and the salt water is probably really starting to damage it. Yeah. One night, while M tries to cheer Richard up during dinner, they hear drum beats off in the distance, and they know that there's other people on this island. I'm assuming they're attributing these sounds to the boogeyman at right. this point. And then Richard catches M floating around in bioluminescent algae later. I, I'm not so sure that that I is bioluminescent I literally algae. rewound it to check. And I was like, wait, is that is that what that is? But... I, that's what it's supposed well, it's to be. Well, it's obviously a digital effect. But, I, you know, that Patrick was saying that he thought it was supposed to be bioluminescence. And I, I don't know. Are you saying I, it's just like a Xanadu, like, fantasy picture no, of No, I don't think it's like, you know, we're not trying to turn on neon signs here. But I feel like they, they were just trying to uh, emphasize the moonlight on the water. And they just did a poor job no, of it. No, no. I, 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 I thought bioluminescent algae as well. Yeah. I, it's, I have the note. I, I thought that at first and... Derek, what did you think? I thought you might have said something about like yeah, maybe the lighting was, was just. I thought it was just the the way they were adjusting the lighting on camera just to make it look I don't know like a Xanadu fantasy scene. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, uh, then now it's three to two, so you guys win. <laughs> uh, well, uh, normally we outnumber Jess on this. Well, also well, I thought it was bioluminescence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. The, there we go. Then it's three to two. <laughs> Damn we win. It. Uh, there's also like it could be because it was clearly like day for night. Um, so that could have been the sun like hitting the water yeah. in hmm. weird ways. So no, just... it was definitely a visual effect. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. No, well, yeah, but I mean like, but maybe they were trying to. They were tinted it blue. So it'd be moonlight. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, no it was algae. It kind of reminds me of effects that he uses in other movies, like in Flight of the Navigator, like weird lightning effects that are in that movie and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and also when the ship is changing shape, sometimes it like has that, you know, yeah, that quant- all, that quantum com- leap glow. But that was computer effects. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, they hear the drumming again during the day and M follows it into the jungle. And when she finds the source of the mysterious sound, the, the sacrificial platform, she is fascinated and she looks at this very large facial statue and assumes that this is God's face and that maybe Patty was mistaken when he said that the boogeyman lives out here um richard is not interested in heading out there yeah he's very much more uh, law-based it seems he, yeah he's like but the law yeah this is sort of supposed to be like an adam and eve situation yeah m has a nightmare that richard ate the never wake up berries and then in the morning uh she kisses him when she learns it's a dream but then she shakes him off when he takes it a little further than she intended women um, <sighs> yeah uh, the next few nights, she catches him creeping on her while she sleeps. 
Uh, and then in the morning, frustratedly masturbating into the ocean when <laughs> all of yep. his uh, approaches are refuted. I was like, dude, dude, when a wave comes back up on you, you're going to be not in a <laughs> situation. <laughs> I regret this decision. Hunting for supplies one day, he notices a ship. Um, and she sees it too, but she intentionally doesn't light the signal fire because I think she would rather be on this island with Richard. She's not interested in getting rescued even at this point. But uh, in response... Richard is very angry and he builds a series of failed ships to escape the island uh, to go to San Francisco on his own without her help. M mocks Richard for trying to escape as the boat collapses under him and he complains about the, all these secrets that she's keeping and she tells him that she knows uh, secrets that he keeps too and mocks him for his masturbation and throws a coconut at his head and <laughs> gives him a concussion. <laughs> yeah, I was slightly concerned about this. Yes. <laughs> Because he seems like unconscious at first, and then he like kind of comes out of it. Um, but then he kicks her out of the house, even though they built it together. He's like, "I did more work than you did. Get out, move somewhere else." Well, he gives her a good backhand too. Yeah, it's like, oh, dude, come on, real nice man. It's like, guys, get it on already. <laughs> uh, one day, exploring the reef, M steps on a rockfish, and she collapses into a fever. So she finds a nice, comfy bed of rocks to lay on. Uh, and then uh, when Richard finds her she's like just sweating profusely and like on the edge of death and she says take me to god which means take me to the other side of the island that you think we're not supposed to go to <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't an invitation for sex yeah i'm surprised <laughs> he didn't take it that way at first. she was frail um but he drags her out into the jungle and uh he places her in front of the enormous face carving on the sacrifice platform and praise and uh she later wakes up seemingly cured of the fever while he's just sitting there like sponge bathing her basically. Yeah. Well, I want to, I wanted, I, I laughed at his prayer because it's kind of like the, the Christmas, oh, right. the Christmas music, the Christmas songs where she's like, I don't remember the rest. And so he's just kind of combining a bunch of stuff that he learned as a kid. And then at the yeah. end, amen. It's just like, there's my prayer. I don't remember much. Yeah. I don't know how to do this, but God, if you're real. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't there a, a with liberty and yes, justice for yes. all in there or something. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty hilarious. I was yeah. googling at that point. I'm like, when did the Pledge of Allegiance get written? <laughs> oh, did you find out? Uh, yes, but now I had to re-google it because my memory is not that good. It was before when this takes place, I assume. Yeah, I want to say um, it was 1890 something, but yeah, I I don't think it's super clear in this movie as to when it's taking place because we know so we know it's before 1914 because that's when the Panama Canal opened mm -hmm. sounds like it's after 1892 because that is when the Pledge of Allegiance was written and it was probably before when was the book written 1904 what did you say? Yeah. 1908. 1908. 1908 so it's sometime between 1892 and 1908 but it had to be in the early 1980s, because that's when that iguana was discovered. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them split a sticky melon, and when Richard asks for a kiss, she reluctantly gives in, just tired of fighting him on this. Uh, we get a long montage of M and Richard being increasingly romantic and eventually blatantly sexual with each other. From photographs they found in their luggage, they deduce that the next step in their relationship is to get married, or to approximate marriage as best they can, alone on an island. So they get dressed up in their fancy clothes and have like a tiny wedding in the house. One morning, Richard finds uh, M vomiting into the water. And uh, then she starts shunning his advances uh, moving forward for a while. And he's, he's very upset about it. And he keeps asking why she doesn't want to do it anymore. And she says, I don't know, but it hurts. And you can feel it if you want to. And she invites him to feel the baby kicking. So I don't know how accurate this is because one, I don't think that it would hurt her. And two, you actually get more amorous when you're pregnant. I've yeah. heard this too. Well, again, this was written by a man in 1908 <laughs> who had who had once heard about a woman somewhere. <laughs> Richard hears more chanting uh, this same night from the other side of the island and he freaks out looking for M. He scrambles into the forest because she's just missing and he finds the other island tribe and they're performing a ritual sacrifice and they're decapitating a guy on the platform but the way they're decapitating him looks like the worst way to decapitate a person it's like they're pushing like it's just a it's like a dull stick 
Mm-hmm. That they're pushing against his neck to take his head off. I, no, 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 no. They were holding That's his what head I thought down too. with that stick it was, it, and then hitting, bludgeoning him on the head with another one. Oh, I thought they were literally like hammering the thing. No, that was on no, no, no. no. They, was just, that was just to hold his yeah. neck down what oh, Jesse okay. said. slammed yeah. him on the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes more okay. sense. So maybe he's not decapitated. This is one of the scenes where I get confused with the other movie. With um, beca- Return of the Blue Goon? I get a lot of the scenes confused yeah, with the other movie. Um, because I was like, I thought one of the natives sees him and and doesn't give him up. But I was like, oh, no, that, no, happens, that's the in, other one. That happens in the other yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I um, have actually never seen any of these movies before watching this one just several days ago. Yeah. Um. So I don't get the scenes mixed up. But the whole time I was expecting something else to happen right. with these natives. Yeah. Sure, yeah. It never really does. Like, this is like the last yeah, the interaction never pays they off. really have. Yeah, or, he runs off. And I hadn't seen this movie for like years and years and years. And then when we rewatched it, I was really sure that at some point those those boogeyman were going to come back and there was going to be a whole thing. It also seems impossible to me that this tribe hasn't encountered them I yet. I was just going to say yeah. that. Because they're, they have a huge house built on the beach. There's no way they're not getting fish. And, 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 and they're within walking distance. And they have to be seeing smoke from their, at least just their basic campfire. Right. Um, yeah. I was kind of taking it as the... This tribe wasn't living on that island, but maybe they sailed from like Correct. a nearby island just to that spot to do their whole sacrifice ritual thing. Oh, and maybe and actually, they weren't there. Most Richard of the time. actually says that. Oh, okay, Richard says that at some point. He says, "Oh, maybe," and I think he's wrong about where they are traveling from. But he points to the little island, like where Patty dies, there. and he's like, "Maybe they come from there, and they only come over here when they need to, you know, do yeah. their sacrifice." Right. Thing. Yeah. That, that makes must sense. be why I was thinking that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> But uh, he once he sees this this guy getting beaten to death, uh, Richard runs away and on his way back to the house finds Emmeline giving birth just in the jungle, probably to the well, spirit of the. Where would you have done it? Well, yeah, that's that's definitely where I would choose over <laughs> if, if, over the house with the nice bed in it. Definitely the jungle. Um, you do you do it in a in a bathtub. You squat and. Did she have time to so, choose? I mean, didn't she just go into labor? She didn't know what was happening. She didn't know that she was going to have a baby. She just kind of dropped and squatted and just was in pain. But, right? Like, she didn't know yeah. that she should have yeah. gone to a different She didn't spot. even know a baby was coming. Yeah. She didn't know what right. that feeling was in her yeah. chest. It's like, I'm in pain. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> there's there's one moment where Richard catches her eating another yet another snack and just says, you're getting fat. <laughs> poor, poor M. <laughs> oh, God. But here in the span of five minutes, Richard has seen one man murdered and another one born. And I wondered if the implication isn't that the spirit of the guy that they that they just killed is going into this kid oh. at oh. that point. Oh, I didn't think that. But maybe just like the cycle of life and death. Because after this, once the baby's born, you see Richard, you know, examining his uh, limbs and like looking at his own hands and then the baby's hands. And then right after this, he also goes back and sees the adult Patty's skull and right. bones and, and whatnot. Yeah. Like just realizing mortality and this this cycle of life. But the moment just reminded me of that song. Lightning crashes, oh a boogeyman dies. Yeah, those are the words. Is that what he says in that song? No, that's not how it that is okay. not. I was like, I don't think that's the lyrics. <laughs> I changed it a little. Um, the baby is crying for food the next day. The next day. It hasn't had anything yet. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, that's not weird. That is a, oh, also okay. a very yeah. big newborn, as they always yeah. are. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> always. In yes. And a very, very but, skinny pregnant woman. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Babies go a day or two, even three, without necessarily eating right away. Yeah. Um, but they try to feed it a few fruits that it doesn't seem interested in. Um, and then she basically intuits the process of breastfeeding by just wanting to hold the baby and then it starts rooting around and they're yeah, like confused I find this about that a too. little unrealistic i mean not that they wouldn't kind of figure it out eventually but what would happen is the baby would cry and she would just be squirting milk all over the place until yeah. she fed it so yeah. she would they would figure it out that way not yeah. like oh you accidentally bit my nipple it would be like oh my god i'm gushing baby food yeah because <laughs> right. her 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 breasts would have gotten much bigger even bef- well before yes. and and she probably would have been lactating even before that too right i mean just uh, by accident just by like rolling around in the bed well once the baby was born likely yeah. yes and there are many details like that that i wonder if they would have been more accurate in the book rather than in the movie um just like with her that's possible just like with her getting her period i mean in a movie they can only show one quick scene for a story element like that Maybe in the book it was, yeah. there were more details that were more realistic. Yeah. 
But the, the baby, even the baby latching, it's like, I just thought that that was yeah. so quick. Like, oh, magically latching. And you just hear real life stories of how hard it is oh, yeah. at first. And yeah. And all the other stuff that can go wrong in that process. Yeah. yeah. But this is like basically a fantasy island anyway. Like their lives would be much harder than they make it look on this island. It wouldn't just be like sandcastles and right. waterfall sex. Which is why no, this got be more so like panned. Survivor. They'd have to do all these obstacle courses. That's right. And... <laughs> they have to vote people off eventually. I, I just always go to the Simpsons of when they're on the island and Bart has this fantasy sequence of their treehouse. And Nelson goes, how many monkey butlers will there be? <laughs> One at first, but he'll train others. How cool would that be, though, if on Survivor, instead of just like you're voted off the island, like they just lay him down on a slab and pin his neck down with <laughs> a stick. Just like, nope, we're literally going to kill you all. Um even the winner at the end. That's the prize. The next day, Richard takes that lifeboat out to the small island where Patty died. And obviously only a skeleton remains. This is at least nine months later. Uh, probably more like a year. Or, well, no, they were kids. They were kids. Definitely longer than so a year. Like Five or six years. Yeah. Uh, but at least nine months. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're not wrong. He observes the bones and he's making notes of the similarities to his own anatomy. And then uh, he comes home and observes the same shapes in his kids' hands. See, I was concerned by the black object inside of Patty. I was the fr- on my first viewing. I think on the second viewing, it's just seaweed. It's just okay. I was like, ooh, was he like. Was he like actually? I thought maybe that the implication was he was actually stabbed with a spear and didn't die from the drinking that the natives had killed him with a spear, and that was the spearhead. I think you're just writing a much more interesting insert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. M teaches the baby how to swim. um, Nirvana. We're getting never mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely Nirvana flashbacks here. This was Um, really uncomfortable for me to watch. I know that you can teach babies that young to swim, but like. As as a mother, I would be like, yeah, I'm not letting Brooke Shields, this 14 year old actress, like yeah. put my baby underwater. Like I do that. That's me. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drown my kids. <laughs> <laughs> we have a long montage of just general fun with baby, just playing with toys and building sandcastles. Yeah, but and- we also have more swimming with baby. What? But which one is clearly a dummy? Oh my baby. god, yeah, that's really like, creepy. It's like horrifying. You'll think you're you're dragging a corpse around yeah. into the water. <laughs> yeah, it's its hair is like twice as long and the head is like bigger than it should be yeah. for the body. It's like lolling backwards as they're swimming holding its hands. It's very creepy. But it's better than putting an actual baby under the water for right. as long as those scenes last. Well, that was super uncomfortable. The stuff where it's an actual baby and they're underwater is a pool. It, it's a it's a swimming pool at someone's house and then the stuff where with the dummy is the stuff that they shot on location on the beach that makes me feel a little better yeah that we didn't fly a baby to fiji and when he was well the the baby was definitely on the island i guess yeah the the three of them are playing games in some beach mud and they're covering all their skin with the mud until suddenly the kid stands up and says boat because they taught this kid words that he wouldn't need um first not only did they teach him that but like how did they because the only way they could show him something that they didn't already have on the island would be to potentially draw a picture. Like I mean, in they the had a lifeboat, but it doesn't look like I the guess. ship. They also built a toy boat and were kept saying, like, get the boat, get the boat. Oh, oh okay. that's true. Okay. That's fair. But uh, from a passing ship, noted physicist Albert Einstein notices <laughs> the three of them on a beach. <laughs> yes, exactly what I said. Uh, I, I really wish that Mr. Feeney had played Albert Einstein in something now because he's a dead ringer in this movie. Well, I think it's very admirable that he's been looking for them for potentially like five or six years. Yeah. Like certain that they're still alive somehow. Yeah. yeah. In this day and age, I think you would give them six months and say they're gone. Yeah. When Richard and M see the boat, they kind of smile at each other and walk away from it, silently agreeing that this is this is their home and they're not going anywhere. Mr. Feeney tells the ship's crew that uh, it couldn't possibly be them. I'm unclear why he's ruling that out. Uh, there's there's three possibilities. It's that he thinks that they have a darker skin color because they're covered yes, in mud. That's what I think. That or that they saw the boat and turned and walked away. Or that they have a kid. I think it's the second oh, okay. and third one together. Okay. I also think they should have been Tanner from how long they've been on this island, <laughs> just outside naked all the time. M asks if they can go back to where they first found the bananas when they got to the island. When they pull the lifeboat ashore, we see that the first hut has collapsed on the beach. He asks if she's coming and she shakes her head no, but wasn't this whole trip your idea? Um, and then she comes anyway. Yeah. While they're exploring the wreckage of their past, the baby steals a branch from the, the never wake up bush of berries. 
em and baby distractedly float away from the shore in the lifeboat as richard is just collecting stuff that they might need from this area as they're floating away from the island the baby throws an oar overboard and this is when em realizes how far out they are and she can't reach it with the other oar so she calls to richard for help and this is when he swims out to them but suddenly a shark appears and as he's climbing into the boat em throws the remaining oar at the approaching shark and so oarless they continue drifting further and further from the island where they're very slowly cooked alive and dehydrated on this boat and one morning em wakes up to catch the baby eating from the branch of the never wake up berries that he found and she can't get all the berries out of his mouth he he swallowed some of them and then richard peels the rest of them off the branch and splits them into two piles for them to commit suicide with and they each eat their piles and go to sleep and then the same ship with mr feeney returns to find them and when he asks if they're dead uh his crewman responds no sir they're asleep i wonder if that line was added um, no, it's in the it's book. In the book. It's in the book. It's almost word okay. for word, apparently, from according to Wikipedia, um, yeah. which I read right before this. Yeah, so exactly. and, and it's kind of um, ambiguous at that point whether they would wake up again or not. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but the until sequel, a sequel book comes right. out. Right. <laughs> the, the sequel, they're dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they literally replace the line, no, sir, they're asleep with, yes, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> dead, sir. Well, that's why I, I was struggling to remember how this movie ended because it's been so long since I've seen it. And, I, and I've seen Return to the Blue Lagoon far more times. Yes. And so I couldn't remember if they were dead or not. And I think that's why, because they changed the ending. Yeah. yeah. At the very beginning of Return, the, the they're pulling the family out and they literally just wrap up the parents and dump them overboard because they're dead. I must have seen it because that's how I remembered it, too. I remember yeah. you know, getting to the end of the movie and just thinking, oh, this is going to suck because he's going to find them, but they're going to be dead. And then that line, they're asleep. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. So I must have at some point yeah. and watched apparently Return. The, the book Garden of God, which is the second book, uh, starts out the same right. way. Yeah. The rest of it's different, <laughs> but it, it starts that way. Basically, in the, in the movie sequel return to the blue lagoon they take this kid aboard and they place it with a mother who has a daughter and then those two get stranded on the island right because there's like a cholera outbreak and they all have to jump ship but in the book the boy is shipwrecked again and the boy ends up on the island by himself and he falls in love with a girl from the tribe oh so it's a it's a completely different story for the rest of the movie but it starts the same way yeah because honestly the second movie is very much just the first movie again yeah yeah in every way yep like like he he even goes and searches the shellfish for pearls and give them gives them to her it's like do you even know what pearls are or how to get them yeah i mean wh- why what instinct was that or right. what what made richard in the first movie want to go pry open these rocks i'm gonna pry open these rocks and maybe i'll find a marble inside well i think you would probably have tried to pry them open for food because you understand that this is a sea creature and you could potentially eat it i would assume it was a geode (laughs) they're all slimy inside (laughs) delicious um the director here was randall kleiser he directed this after greece and he followed up with flight of the navigator honey i blew up the kid and white fang the novelist Henry Devere Stackpool. He also has credits for The Return to the Blue Lagoon as the writer of the sequel book, Garden of God, even though it's not really based on that book. He also has lots of projects that were adapted to film in the like 1920s, including uh, later uh, an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents in 1960 that was adapted from something else that he wrote, a different short story. And the screenwriter here was Douglas Day Stewart. Uh, he was hired because of his work on Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta. <laughs> who obviously Kleiser had worked with on Greece. He also wrote An Officer and a Gentleman and The Scarlet Letter Movie, the more recent feature. The composer, Basil Polidorus, he's best known for his collaborations with uh, John Milius and Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Uh, he did Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn, Iron Eagle, Robocop, Hunt for Red October, Free Willy, Starship Troopers, a lot of good stuff. Which which of those were you super excited about? Uh, Robocop. Okay. Yeah. Robocop <laughs> it's, theme it's a great. Is Brooke Shields was Emmeline Lestrange. She was Suddenly Susan on the show Suddenly Susan. She's also in a movie called Alice Sweet Alice, a.k.a. Communion, which, judging from its IMDb screen grabs, looks amazing. It's like a very early title for her, but uh, it's an insane horror film. Um, She played Violet in Pretty Baby, which is the film that inspired her casting here. And uh, 
also features full frontal nudity from her and faced the same child pornography issues that this film did but she's 12 in that one so i don't know what was going on at the time chris atkins was richard lestrange uh he's frederick in the pirate movie with christy mcnichol from little darlings he's mr christensen a teacher on the boat in the lifetime adaptation of the blue lagoon leo mckern here was patty button he plays imperious in lady hawk and cromwell in a man for all seasons william daniels was arthur lestrange he's best known as mr feeney on boy meets world Mm -hmm. Also, uh, A Thousand Clowns, which is a favorite of mine. And Uh, Kit. Yep, he's Kit. He's Mr. Braddock in The Graduate. Uh, It's crazy that he's never been a bad guy in a Herbie movie because I feel like he fits that category (laughs) like with David Tomlinson and Harvey Corman really well. But the closest he comes is in Herbie Fully Loaded, which features a cameo from Kit because uh, he did the voice of the car on Knight Rider. And uh, Jeffrey Kleiser plays the lookout who is on the ship at the beginning of the movie jeffrey kleiser is obviously brother of randall kleiser and the founder co-founder of the kleiser walchak visual effects house that did all the visual effects for flight of the navigator he was at the screening that we went to yeah yeah okay we just saw flight of the navigator at uh the egyptian recently and uh randall and his brother were both there as a part of a the panel that they did oh. it was actually a really cool screening they talked about some of the revolutionary effects that they did in that movie it they was- had to build all their software from scratch yeah it was really neat did they, did, did they mention where they got the name for pixar was that directly from no the, so, someone asked again but uh, there there's no definitive answer mm-hmm. um yeah but uh pixar does get a mention in flight of the navigator which is technically before pixar existed or maybe like right around the same time like within a year of when pixar first started using the name but yeah i i think this is an enjoyable movie well, uh, well you missed one. Well, oh, well we have you... a couple of things to talk about too we were the rest of the oh okay what do... so uh i noticed uh in the credits uh brian may not that brian may oh but that brian may <laughs> from mad max <laughs> from mad max okay cool <laughs> so well, he was uh, but he music... wasn't the composer no he was music coordinator on this one but he was composer on mad max right okay yeah. cool uh the cinematographer uh nestor I'm going to butcher Carbonell. his name. Yeah, Nestor Carbonell. No, uh, Nestor uh, Almen- Almendros. Almendros. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, sir. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, for, for this movie? For cinematography. Uh, and That's we, fair. And we should mention that this won Razzie for Worst Actress. For Brooke Shields. Did it really? Yep. Yes, it did. Uh, no. That's not fair. It was the inaugural Golden Raspberry. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's crazy. What? There was oh my gosh that's not fair we've had a lot of really we've had terrible a lot of really bad movies yeah. here and sh- this was not one of them I thought she did a great job yeah yeah I think I think she she can be really charming and funny when she's trying to be I think some of her line reads seem like she's not present but I think that that's okay yeah because they're kind of going through a lot of trauma it, I also it think felt at the time to me I think in the in the 80s people just shit on Brooke Shields no matter what she did because but she's 14 why would you shit on her for some reason she was a joke though (laughs) (laughs) she's 14 why would you shit on her that's coming out i did i did read that used out of context that randall kleiser really wanted to uh like up the whole fantasy stuff so he gave christopher atkins a picture of brooke shields like months in advance to when they were shooting because he really wanted them to actually fall in love and to actually have this romance but it's like huh. this like 14 year old and this like 18 year old it's like okay yeah that is very weird but um, they hated each other yeah when they got to the island apparently they it was like a dirty dancing situation right where wow. they they didn't really oh, yeah have, where patrick yeah Spacey they was didn't awful. really right. get along very well behind the scenes um, Which I think actually is a credit to how good the acting in this movie is if they actually hated each other because you look at those scenes and I think that they're... They're being they very look, sweet. Yeah, they look authentically like they care about each other. But it also makes the scenes when they're angry much more... like Visceral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just ad-libbed the coconut throw. Yeah. <laughs> that was not in the script. That was a real concussion. <laughs> um, I think I do need to draw attention to one person in the credits, Aphrodite Kondos, who was uh, the wardrober, who I'm guessing okay. had to be on set for one day out of all of the <laughs> Right. <laughs> that, that couldn't have been a super difficult job. No offense. I don't know. It might have been a lot of work to make sure that you always glued her hair to her boobs. But is that wardrobe or makeup? Uh, that's that's a good. It's a fine line. <laughs> Finally, hair and makeup slash wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a jurisdictional problem here. Yeah. 
let's talk to the unions. You have to talk to the union yep, head. Exactly. <laughs> but all, all overall, like re- rewatching it, I was a little like surprised how enjoyable it was considering when I watched it probably far too young as a kid. I just remembered it being kind of like this like eh movie and then I think I had low expectations and then rewatching it again as an adult. I'm like, "Oh, it's kind of like they're trying to portray this kind of innocence and like Edenic Mm -hmm. kind of portrayal of human nature. I mean, they got a few things obviously a little off, but I thought it was kind of sweet, you know, and none of the nudity or the sexuality was very gratuitous or out of place. It was just like, oh, you're stuck on an island and you have no one else to talk to. And of course, you're attractive young men and man and woman. Like, yeah. (laughs) I remember this movie from watching it again also very young and um first of all it's a lot better than i think i remembered it being but it's also a lot less risque than i remember because same yep really really young watching it i was like oh my god this is scandalous you know as a kid and now watching it back i'm like oh no it's actually pretty tame yeah. Pretty realistic. And I similarly, I, I never saw it as a kid, as I mentioned earlier, but I had seen the the DVD on a shelf at Walmart or something, and I always just <laughs> thought it was some filthy movie that was basically pornography because I was a young kid and just saw this picture of basically naked people on the cover, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's out here in public. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shouldn't that be behind the curtain over right. there? And right. if, I, if I had actually seen the movie, I probably still would have been scandalized at that age, but, um, but yeah. looking at it now, yeah, it's the... Every scene where there is nudity, it is pretty innocent. And I I didn't get to watch it again to try and figure this out. But I think, like, of course, you don't actually see sexual activity portrayed directly on screen. You see kisses, and then it's, like, heavily hinted at. And they're, like, lying close together where they're wearing probably nothing. Um I think I think the the closest you get to something explicit is, like, nude straddling that happens. But aside from that, right. I, there's and, no I like mean, thrusting or anything. Yeah, going and then on. after, I, if I'm not mistaken, like sometimes when they go swimming, they're like wearing their loincloths and stuff. And I think that happens like anytime after there's been any kind of hint at sexual activity, like when they're swimming, they're covered. Um, it's almost yeah. yeah. If that, I don't know for sure if that's right because I'd have to watch it again, and I don't need to like. Well, you 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 definitely see a lot of. You can definitely see a lot underwater. Uh, yeah. Both yeah. The, the both the boy and the girl, whether their body doubles or really them, uh, you definitely see a lot. And and there's just a couple of scenes where the camera's like far enough away, uh, where like you know if you're watching this in HD, you could probably see it. But maybe back in the day when they were showing this theatrically, maybe you couldn't see it as well. Yeah, it's like um, the opening of a James Bond movie where you're like, was that a nipple? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I think they were trying to like have the nudity, any scene where there was nudity, have it be like this innocent kind of Edenic look at just people and have it be very practical. Whereas where there was anything sexual happening, then you're like, that's all off screen. Yeah. At least, at least my interpretation is that might, that's probably the approach they were taking. And I don't remember much. uh, I don't don't remember much about the sequel as far as the nudity, because I always ever saw it on TV, uh, the 1991 version. Uh, and so I don't I, know. I if, only got the first half of it watched before we started, but there was almost no nudity. Yeah, so that's what half. I figure. I figure yeah, I don't it remember prob- it. I figure yeah. it probably has virtually none, if none at all. I think the the early '80s though was was less worried about that stuff. Yeah. Like you have PG thirteen movies that have dicks in them. Yeah. Or like what was the, the Franco Zeffirelli? Uh, oh yeah, the Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, which that's is yeah. my favorite. Yeah. We just which, recently watched the Buzz Lerman one, but. Uh, the that one, yeah. the nineteen sixty eight one is yeah. the best. And this was before the PG thirteen rating existed, right? Right, that, because uh, it was right. before Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if this movie at the time I actually don't know what it was rated. I it think was, Temple of Doom was the first PG yeah. thirteen, right? N- well, or? no Temple of Doom was PG, but Spielberg was upset, like he's like, No, we need to have something he spearheaded the campaign to, to have that. The first official released PG thirteen movie, I believe, was Red Dawn. Oh, okay. And that's for violence, I guess. Or yeah, and, and it wasn't the first to be given the rating, but it did come out before the other movie. I can't remember the title of the other one. But I do think it was important to Randall Kleiser that um, that everything was tasteful. Yeah. Uh, because he didn't want people to look at this film the wrong way. Right. But I, I, it also makes me wonder how easily they could have pulled that off if the people were naked for the entire movie. I feel like that that should never have even been on the table <laughs> as an option because. It would be hard to do that and have people still call it tasteful. 
Not impossible, just difficult, I think. What do you guys give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Would you recommend this for people? Depends on the people. It depends on the context. There I are guess. some people I would never recommend this to, and <laughs> and others I would. I'd say it's it's certainly interesting for discussion and for you know analyzing it for the sake of film and story and talking about romanticism and um, all these ideas about you know people living in nature versus being around society and um, certainly some of that you saw at the beginning of the twentieth century and. Yeah, it's, it's certainly thought-provoking, I'd at least say that. So I'd recommend it, I'd say one thumb up, one thumb down, depending on who I'd recommend it sure. to. Sure, is that like yeah, you're the new person in your yeah. office, you're like, oh, by the way, if you haven't seen Blue Lagoon, rent it tonight. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't talk to me until you've watched Blue Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a. It did score, what, a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes out of, like... Wow. Did you just say 9%? Yeah, 9%, which makes me want to like it more. Are you kidding me? You know. <laughs> I do really like this movie. Yeah. I give it a big thumbs up. I, I think this movie may have been a punchline when it came out. Well, and I guess, the, 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 the critics destroyed it, but it made tons of money. It right, because it cost almost yes, nothing. Yes, compared to what it cost. To and it had good-looking naked people in it. Yes. You know. Yeah, there you go. What yeah. more could you ask for? Yeah, that does well globally. Yes. What'd you give it? Thumbs up? I, I would say a thumbs up for this one for me. This is this is something I would I would say is a it's a more of a good film than a bad film in my head. Like I would I would recommend that people yeah. get out and see this one if they haven't seen it. Agreed. I think I liked it a lot more than you guys then because it's it's pretty high on my list of movies. Um, it's not low on my list. Uh, I give it a thumbs up. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and again because I I do get it confused with the other one, but I I fully enjoyed this movie, and I I don't think it's deserving of. Brooke Shields getting a raspberry no, compared that's, to that's other insane. things that we've seen. That was a but bit we're going to reassess. Yeah, we're at the end of the year, we're going to reassess all the Razzies and the Oscars and everything. Oh, interesting. We're going to correct all those mistakes. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Letterbox list. This is uh, We've been keeping track. This is the 77th film in our year, so we've been scoring them all in order. Uh, Jess, where is this going in your list? So it goes pretty darn high in my list. Um, it goes in slot number... 13 for the year so far, which is below The Long Riders, but above Die Laughing. <laughs> okay. Richard? Uh, I'm putting this uh, just below Stuntman and just above uh, Brewbreaker. Okay. Uh, it's number 23. I'm actually putting it, uh, this is 21st place out of uh, 77 titles. It's going uh, above the Blues Brothers and right below Saturn 3 for me wow above the blues brothers is pretty high praise but that's another one i haven't seen that need to you know what though if you haven't seen it already you're not gonna like it as much as everyone tells you oh, okay well to. never mind then I, I saw the blue lagoon i don't need to <laughs> yeah yeah you're good mm-hmm. you the, just need one blue movie from 1980 yes, and you're yeah. good if, yeah. if you need an island movie to watch you need to watch the, the island. island yes oh yes that's that's another one to check out for that sure one is amazing uh did you guys want to plug anything on your side uh, yeah, I'm on a podcast called The Con Guy, Comic-Con Prep Show. Um, we talk about just the new news of the convention circuit, uh, what conventions are actually still on. Uh, right now we've yeah. been talking about which ones are delayed and canceled and when they're moving to if they've got somewhere to be. But we're usually on Monday nights. Yeah, you can check out thecongui.com. It's news about all the convention world and general things about geekdom. Cool. And we'll throw a link in the show notes too so people can find the show. But I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we're Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing How to Beat the High Cost of Living which IMDb could not succinctly summarize, so I will. Three women plot to steal a ball full of money from a shopping mall anniversary celebration. We leave you now with the trailer for How to Beat the High Cost of Living. Oh, excuse me. Have you ever received a Dear John letter in red from the Power and Light Company? Power and Light Company? My my power just went out. Are the tax people creating a crisis in your life? It's not me. It's the rotten government. If I don't sue you, they're going to nail me for thousands of dollars in taxes I don't have. (laughs) Do you really believe the oil companies? Nine cents more from last week. That's incredible. Well, it's not us. It's the Arabs. I'm still making the same amount of money on a gallon of gasoline as I did in 1958. Must have made a bundle in 58. 
Jane, Louise, Elaine. Three girls who are in the same trouble as millions of Americans. I need more money. I cannot swing it on $200 a month child support anymore. Oh, that's the deal we made when you left me. That's what the court order says. But you divorced me, remember? $200 a month four years ago has my kids drinking Kool-Aid instead of milk twice a day. Do you know what I did today, Louise? I sold a used flea collar to a cocker spaniel. Yes. And tomorrow, I may take out a cat's appendix, whether he wants me to or not. You've got to help me. I'm broke. I'm flat-busted broke. The house and car payments are due on Monday. I need money. You know how banks operate. They only lend money to people who don't need it. There's just got to be some way we can make money. Why don't we just become hookers and rent a motel room? We'd starve to death. There's 12,000 college girls in this town giving it away. Oh my God, so soon. Would you like some coffee? Oh, thank you. It's 25 cents. <laughs> Stick up a safe way. Okay, 895. What the hell is keeping her? Really, girls, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> You'll have to go much further. Susan St. James. Jessica Lang. Jane Curtin. One day, they did to the system what the system's been doing to them. How to beat the high cost of living.